Open Mind, the podcast, is brought to you in association with very.co.uk. Whether you're looking for stylish athleisure or performance sportswear, there is a range to suit all your fitness needs. Shop the biggest sportswear brands at very.co.uk. Today you're back with me, Frankie Bridge, with Open Mind, and today my guest is Rick Samada. Hi. Hi. Uh, an actor, a broadcaster, and a writer. Most recently, um, I'm tired just hearing that. Give I know jobs. you have done a lot, <laughs> yeah. and you're actually a Sunday Times bestseller. Yes, put that on the list. Yeah. It takes even longer to say. I know. That should be at the top of every introduction that you have. Yeah, I'm moving that right to the top. You should. <laughs> so your book is called I Never Said I Loved You. Yes. Uh, what brought the book on? Why did you feel like you needed to write it? Well, I was approached to write a memoir because I think people have liked my writing in the past and it's been quite funny. And I realised I could talk. It was an opportunity to talk about mental health because I've struggled with depression and anxiety all my life. But it's a chance to talk about these things in a, in a funny way, mm-hmm. which is sort of my style. That's not something that's really been done too much in books. I think on TV, maybe a bit more, but books can be quite earnest about this subject. And, well, books about depression can be quite depressing to read, yeah. I realised. So I thought, actually, maybe there's, a, maybe there's an opportunity to write something that is honest about mental health, but also funny. Mm. So that was a challenge I set myself. How did you find doing it, though? Did you feel like your mental... It was good for your mental health or bad? It was really bad for my mental health Same. to write about mental health. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you deal with that? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. That's why I asked and it around. Uh, yeah, just yeah. like went to more therapy, uh, was in denial as to why it was making my mental health worse. What do you think it was? Because for me, my doctors kept telling me that it was, um, you know, going over old stuff. Mm. And I'm always a bit like, well, no, I'm fine about that. Like, it doesn't make me sad anymore. It, it was a time in my life and I can deal with it now. And in my head, I was like, it's just because it's the stress of a deadline. And I still stand by That's that. That's what I think. I think just writing a book is really hard. And actually, people always assume it's, oh, it's because you're talking about the worst things that have happened to you. And maybe there's some truth in it, but mainly it's just writing 80,000 words, my book was. I thought, I don't think I know 80,000 words. That's no. really stressful. And then when you've got a legal contract hanging over you. But you're a writer, though. Yeah, but I'd written in journalism before, so that's like 800 words or 600 words, you know, and then suddenly you'd ask to do like literally a hundred times that length and suddenly you become you become full of imposter syndrome and anxiety and what do I have to say and is anything I have to say worth saying and what if I do it badly and then I let people down it's such an important topic am I worthy mm. of this and it's all these anxieties and come crowding in whereas when you're doing journalism it's shorter you, you're often writing really quickly so they say you've got till 1pm or you've got till tomorrow lunch to do it and then you sort of have to move on to the next thing whereas this was what turned out to be three years of mm. just you know sort of writing in the dark almost and hoping that it's gonna you're going to get it right. I think the longer you're given as well sometimes, like, I don't know about you, but I would probably have worked better under pressure, like you were saying, you get given till the end of the day or whatever. Whereas, because I was given a year, I was, I will take that year. I'm like, I ignored it for a couple of months and then I came back to it and then the last month was like, ah, I need to cram it all in. It was a classic homework thing. So they, they gave me a year and by the end of the year, I, I hadn't written it. Like two chapters in, I thought, I can't. I was like, I spent some of the advance. Can I? What's this is awkward there? <laughs> what happens now? Then they gave me another year and I did something, but basically it's like homework. You do it like any sort of course or anything, you do it the night before or the two nights before. So, yeah, I basically did 
about 70% of the book in about three months, really? having wasted two years just stressing about it. And that's just so often the way you just need something, someone going, I don't care, just give me something. Mm, just to really kick out the bum. Yeah, to get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and how have people reacted to it? Like, Because I know you talk about a lot of... Um, things through your life obviously so friends and family are involved in the book mm. and from what I gather from the book not a lot of people knew what you were going through all the time so how did people that you knew react to it yeah it's strange it's the book is full of things that I'd never told anyone apart from you know partners and but just my deepest secrets and then to suddenly put that on a public stage is a really strange thing and a lot of my friends now call me up when they're in trouble I guess or when they're having kind of panic attacks or crisis or something and it's sort of changed my relationship with a lot of particularly male friends they'll really come to me and be much more open about their feelings than I than we ever had before which is quite a nice sort of mm. thing and and also there's there's some sort of trauma and and childhood difficult childhood stuff in the book and lots of other people have found that really resonates with them and they've come to me to talk about difficult traumatic childhood experiences they've had and it's people that you never think Mm. It's the people that you think are so together and so successful, so good looking, you know, all these, it's, a, it's the cliche. Even these things you, that you know aren't, yeah. don't mean anything, but yeah. you still think. But you, it's so hard <laughs> to get past that thing of this person is so, they've got everything I wish I could have. Mm. And these people come to me and tell me these these stories and it was just so shattering, but also a privilege to be able, that people will tell you those things about mm. themselves. So that's been a real change in a lot of my relationships. Sometimes it goes too far and you think, can we just... Talk about something, Talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, you're like, I haven't got the answers for myself, so not really Yeah, sure. that's the thing, because there isn't, as you know, there's no mm. one answer, so you suddenly have all this pressure to people sort of want something from you. You're like, I can't really help you, I can just listen. Mm. And it turns out that is most of the answer, is just Definitely. being there and being open about things, yeah. At what kind of age do you, do you feel like you got sick or suffered from depression or kind of what came first? Difficult to say because I sort of refuse that label for quite a long for most of my life. And I still don't really like the label because to me it doesn't feel empowering. It feels quite limiting mm. to pathologise. But definitely from very early childhood, before the age of 10, I think there was a certain kind of underlying sadness and self-doubt and the, the wish to make myself quite small and disappear. And, and when it got really bad later on, just the wish to not really be here got quite strong so yeah pretty much from it's been with me my whole life and did you talk to anyone about it back then or was it kind of this underlying secret no because there wasn't really language for it back then and also I was a child so you you sort of are very unaware of any kind of life outside of your own the one you're still discovering so a you just think things will always be the way they are and you don't actually know if things are wrong or you're wrong, but there's no solution to that. And also, you just, yeah, you don't have the language to say, I want to change the way I feel or this is what I'm struggling with. It's just a sort of overwhelming mess of anxiety and horror and depression. <laughs> so, yeah, I think if you have it from a young age, it's really hard to kind of separate, to sort of find a line of attack, sort of, I'm explaining it very badly, but just to know what to do really and what's what's the problem and what's... Mm. what's just part of being alive I have that same thing because I've suffered from pretty much I feel like I came out of the womb anxious okay. that is just me fun for your mum yeah 100% <laughs> um, really fun um, so I'm always like 
especially with depression, I feel like you sometimes it's so hard to know when you're genuinely if you're genuinely unhappy in like a life situation or if it's just your head fucking with you basically like and I think that is almost makes everything so much more confusing yeah or there's another strand where you just think is this my personality and actually yeah (laughs) that's just who I am yeah just question everything yeah it's so weird (laughs) yeah (laughs) I think if it's not something that you suffer from it's just so hard to understand yeah I mean if we're sort of well I'm really struggling I struggle to explain it clearly so I just think about people who are maybe close to someone who suffers from these things and they can't explain mm. themselves and how hard it must be for someone that hasn't experienced that to then to empathize with it so I'm always really touched when someone says to me oh I don't have experience of this but reading your book has mm. made me realize what someone in my life has been going through that's really that's almost as powerful to me as the person who's suffering it relating to it in a way yeah and at what point in your life then did you realize that maybe something wasn't right and kind of reached out for help well, in the book, I talk about this holiday that I took with my mum. Oh, my... is this the one in the sex hotel? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how did that ever happen? Because <laughs> my mum is a very strange woman and she she realised we've got quite an odd relationship, but quite a deep one, but quite a lot of unspoken things. So I think she knew that I was going through quite a bad time when I was, this is just before my 30th birthday and my dad had died a few years ago and I'd uh, lost my job, basically had a breakdown. I couldn't, I'd moved back in with my mum. I couldn't work. You know, I just, I wasn't leaving my room. So for my 30th, which I was dreading, I really just didn't want to do anything. And I think she picked up on this and she decided to take us to the other side of the world mm-hmm. and give me a nice holiday. But because our accommodation fell through in Thailand, we ended up just booking what we could get, which turned out to be... Oh, okay. So she didn't book this? <laughs> no, she didn't. It wasn't online sex facility. Yeah, like when you were like, my mum's a strange woman. I'm like, does it still um, explain the fact that she booked her son into <laughs> a sex hotel? They're strange and they're child services. <laughs> no, no, it was all she didn't realise. None of us did. Until okay. we got to the hotel and there were condoms on the pillows and a kind of sexy, porny bathroom. Sl- it was awful. Oh, I just yeah. don't know. What did you do? Just like quickly brush them away and just act like they weren't there. I feel like I would be so uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was like, this isn't happening. La, da, da, da. <laughs> but then there's only one bed as well. We were sharing a bed. So it was like oh. this Freudian nightmare. <laughs> and then I turned 30 and it was Christmas Day as well. That's my birthday. <laughs> and you were in bed with I was in mom. bed with my mum. <laughs> but there's nothing else to do. So because we didn't want to go out because... I guess we were in a part of town where we were slightly worried about the entertainment that we mm-hmm. might encounter, so we just stayed in this room. And we ended up talking, and we hadn't really spoken really before. Uh, and I asked her about her childhood, and I spoke about my mental health a bit, a little bit, and it kind of deepened our relationship. But that, and that was the beginning of me realising that talking about things actually does help. You know, even though it's cliche, it's, it's that for a reason. Mm. So I guess from that point on, I decided to try and be better at talking about things honestly and not hiding everything and what do you think made you end up having the breakdown things it's quite a big thing to go from oh I just feel unhappy to full-on breakdown for you what was that like I guess it's just the ultimate giving up when you just run out of any energy or any hope that you can change anything in your life and the belief that things are completely set and you're just walking down this long corridor with only one ending and you don't want to get there but there's no other way out so you just sit down on the floor and stop moving and so I yeah I just couldn't leave the house I couldn't really maintain any 
friendships or relationships. I could, definitely couldn't work, couldn't look after myself. I had to move back in with my mum who looked after me. And, you know, as a grown man, it's quite a humiliating thing. Yeah, it's feeling trapped, I guess. I suppose you can see it in animals when they just give up and they're so traumatised they stop being aggressive or trying to run away and they just lie there and know whatever happens. They're looking for food, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think it's hard, like, that it's not that common for people to reach that point I did when I was in hospital so for me as horrible it, as it is for you it's quite nice to meet someone that has reached that point in life We're in and the I, club I, I, woohoo <laughs> everyone's so jealous yeah. um, <laughs> VDP very depressed peoples <laughs> we could have some fun parties right <laughs> yeah I don't know it's a weird like comfort again because you've spoken about it just for someone like me to hear someone else that was you were relatively young really to go through something like that and so was I so it's quite interesting to hear like someone else's version of what that felt like yeah I think when I look for the possible benefits of feeling like this because there's not many as mm. you know and I think that connection is really one of the big ones so it's mm. either through talking about it and helping someone else or it's just like this talking to someone and relating being like oh I had that as well I mm. felt so alone but Turns out you were probably somewhere else feeling exactly as bad. <laughs> and then from this sex hotel holiday where you mm. weirdly had a really nice and deep conversation with your mum. Yeah, recommend it. Um, yeah, <laughs> Trip I'm not sure I'll take stars. that one. Um, <laughs> well, treat yourself. <laughs> where did you go from there? Like, what changed for you? How did you get better? So I ended up discovering writing at some point not too long after that, which is completely by accident because I was acting before that, which was... a which I, I love acting, but the industry of acting is so brutal brutal, and just full of rejection and self-doubt and competition. And then I, I, was, I ended up working at The Guardian just as an admin, just sort of doing booking train tickets and paying people, you know, just quite low down. But one day I was I kind of demoted to counting chairs around the building. What? Um, yeah, because I wasn't very good at the admin, so I just count chairs. That's uh, going to make everyone feel better. Yeah. Well, people were confused and they kept asking me what, what I was doing and I didn't really know. So I sent, but I sent an email around to the entire company going, a lot of you asking what I'm doing and I don't know, I assume you're all going to lose your jobs. And I sent that email to the entire company, which is not something you're meant to do. N no. <laughs> no. So I sort of, um, kind of didn't get asked to do that again, but a lot of, uh, well, some... An editor there found it quite funny right. that I was that reckless and clear, had nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. So he said, have you tried writing? And I hadn't. I he love said, that from that, someone was like, who is this guy? Yeah, again, you never can predict these situations, no. how they turn out. And sometimes your life can change in these oddest, oddest of ways. So he just started me writing and I started writing little pieces and I was terrible, but I, he kept giving me the opportunity to get better and I did. And then other editors started giving me opportunities. And so I learned this whole new skill and it was a way to express myself which in acting I hadn't really found because you're always cast um, to other people's idea of you, which is often nothing to do with yourself at all. So, mm. you know, when I was acting, I'd be I'd like some sort of rude boy like, yeah, who's in? Or, or I'd be like some in Anglo-Indian kind of professor who's, you know, <laughs> this, these weird casting brackets are so narrow and nothing to do with me. And no. I, in but did you I, not I, find that as a, as a way of escapism or not for you? Because people no, say that all the time and I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't get that. No, because it was always only like, I just needed to speak with my own voice. Mm. Maybe now I could find it more of an escape because I'm securing myself more. But at the time, I, I just wanted people to see me and I wasn't being seen. 
Whereas writing is a way that I can be totally me. It's my words and I'm saying what I want and, mm. and people relate to it. So discovering writing, I guess, after that holiday was, yeah, that was a huge change in my life. And did you ever go and see a GP or anything like that during any of this time? Yeah, so I started seeing therapists and I did CBT on the NHS, which was really useful. And then I started a long-term therapy as well. Still don't know what I'd be without that in my most weeks I go and I really rely on it. So you still go now? Yeah, definitely. And have you ever had to try medication or anything like that? I did. Actually, I did when I was much younger, when I was early 20s. Because I was sent to counselling when I was at school, sixth form. I didn't stay on it, I don't think. Well, obviously I didn't. And then in my early 20s, when I was at university, I tried again. But there was just something about medicating myself I was really uncomfortable with. And I just wanted to find a different way to tackle my problems. Mm. So you just face them head on? Yeah. Therapy? Yeah, well, I kind of... And it's not a position where I'm saying to anyone else, you know, you should be off medication. Absolutely not. No, it works for you. completely different. Yeah, just everyone is completely different. For me, though, I didn't want to say that my body was the problem. Mm. And, you know, here are some drugs and I'll change my brain chemistry and then everything else is fine. Because actually, there are things I needed to address in my life and my own self-confidence. And I needed to find a creative outlet and all these things that I did need to change about my life. So just medicating the feelings away wouldn't really have helped me move forwards in kind of self-actualization, whatever you want to call it. So I'm really glad that I tried to find that other way. Open Mind, the podcast, is sponsored by very.co.uk. Looking for the perfect party outfit? Head to very.co.uk for all the latest trends to kick off the holiday season. You said in your book like, that you wanted to find out where this all came from, where your mental health... Was that as in finding out what had caused it or like within your family? Because I know you found out a lot of stuff about your grandmother. Yeah, I was just intrigued. Is this genetic? Is it childhood stuff? Is it stuff that happens just as you're growing up and experiences? Or is it... Yeah, how? where does it come from? And I found in my case that... Partly there was a genetic link, to, so it does run in families, depression. And I realised that there had been experience of it in my family before, my grandmother. But also I'd suffered quite severe childhood trauma, which I'd not really wanted to think about for a long time, and I'd kind of repressed the memory of that. So having to think about that, and I, I realised how significant that had been on my life. And was that at a really young age? Yeah, so that this was... Childhood sexual abuse, which I guess is sadly very common and mm. isn't really talked about much. Uh, and there's such a strong correlation between that kind of trauma and later on depression in life or just throughout life. So it's not really an accident, I guess. Mm. So there was that. But also like you, I think I was just always born with this kind of, always been slightly more tuned to the dark side of things. And I don't think that's going to change, really. I've just changed my attitude to it. And now I try and put it into my work or transform it into something creative or I connect people with it and I mm. try and turn it into light. But it's it's always there, yeah. Well, that's what kind of the biggest thing when I've read uh, reviews and things of your book. They say that it's amazing how you've managed to make it funny and make some really heavy, 
you know, situations quite lighthearted and fun mm. to read. And I think that's amazing because it is hard to do. And it does, I don't know if you, um, if you, I mean, you may not have read Bryony Gordon's Mad Girl book. Yes, I love Bryony Gordon. Yeah, yeah, and that was, I was on holiday and I read her book within two days because it was hilarious, but she's been through so much crap in her life. She kind of made me feel really sane. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember texting one of my best friends who suffers with a lot of mental health issues. And I was like, you have to read this book because it's hilarious. And it just makes you realise, one, that someone else has gone through the same things and worse. Yeah. And also, like, she just explained it in such a way that, made it not feel so heavy so it was easier to read yeah she was definitely a signpost for me is that oh you can talk about really dark things mm. but also not lose your sense of humor and you can be really funny and laugh out loud funny so do you feel like yeah. it's harder for men though well i think the the humor thing is different difficult with men because often men use humor to def- rather than using humor to talk about something they use it to not talk about things mm. so to sort of banter their way around situations and never really have a, an honest conversation and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be honest, but also funny as well. So that was a new kind of use of humour, I guess, which maybe is difficult for some men. Just, Just sort of... for men in general to talk about mental health, have you noticed? Because like, for yeah. me, finding men to come on the podcast has been really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Not that many oh, men so... that want to talk about it. Oh, that's why I'm here. Good to... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were well down the bottom, Jumped, mate. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> I jumped up. I'm like, me, me, me. And me, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's, I don't know if it is, if there's any biological difference between the sexes or if it's mm. just centuries of socialisation that have taught men to not, to repress feeling and to invest in strength and develop their kind of practical aspects of themselves in the world. But, yeah, I think men really do struggle, and that's why now, because they're required less to chop down trees and hunt <laughs> cheetahs, that maybe they're slightly struggling with their place in the in the touchy-feely 2019 world. And have yeah. you found a lot more men have now opened up to you since you've started the conversation? Yeah, yeah, like I was saying earlier, they kind of... And they all call me now when they they want to have like they're sort of the kind of conversations men often have when they're drunk and suddenly it's all like you know I always loved you and never talk about it but you're my, you're my brother you know that you're my brother it's weirdly aggressive yeah. <laughs> but now they just do it when they're sober to me like we never really talked and I just want to tell you all about my childhood and I'm like oh that's great I've actually got a I've got a lunch meeting in about twenty minutes to... um, but it's also lovely that men yeah in my life are being more open about their feelings and sensitive and I love it. And how did your mum find you writing the book and kind of being aired to the public? She's amazing she um well I said I sat down I was like I'm gonna write this memoir it's true life stuff and it's all about our family and my experience it's intimate secrets and you're gonna be quite a big character in there and I just wanted to know how you felt about that because it can be quite a difficult you know strange experience and she just said well, it's about time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so she was so up for it. And she's just been amazing. She just... They had loads of my books in foils that were signed. And then I went in and signed those copies. And then I went around to my mum's house and she said, oh, I bought all of those books. Oh, <laughs> like, really? Why? I'm a son. <laughs> I'll just sign one. Hit. What do you mean? Just, yeah, just yeah, get one. I'll just do it at home. Yeah, you can be too supportive. There is oh, such a thing. <laughs> she's being proud. She is so proud and I love her 
But now you're like, there's other people that could read that book. <laughs> Go and put them back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go and put them back. <laughs> oh, no. When you were, like, younger and at school, what was your school experience like? Was it hard, a hard one or...? Yeah, I always felt different. I was felt on the outside of things and, yeah, I mean, I guess I became quite quiet when I was really young and withdrawn and isolated. And then I discovered a kind of wisecracking sort of class clowniness mm. to cover that. So you're sort of always on, apart from when you go home and you sit in your room and you just feel the blackness kind of creeping in the edges of your vision. But, it's you know, with other people, I was... I guess I was a funny one. That was my way to be in groups and to, to reach out to people. So it was a sort of mask, but also it was a way to bridge the distance between you and people. So mm. it was kind of a mixed thing. So funny, but a lot of sadness and outsideriness at school. And just teenage, teenageriness is so difficult. Puberty is such a difficult thing to navigate anyway. Even with, if you don't have all this propensity to self-hatred and, you know, the darkness. Mm. So I had a really rough time in adolescence with feelings of self-worth. And this was sort of uh, late 80s, kind of 90s and, well, 90s when I was a teenager. And it felt far more openly racist <laughs> as a society than we are right. today. Lovely. Yeah. So when I was a child, I, there were attacks or a lot of verbal abuse and just a kind of that background atmosphere of, you know, you'd see NF graffiti everywhere scrawled into train seats and on people's pencil cases and it's just sort of an accepted on people's thing. pencil cases yeah really i think because quite sort of from a graphic design point of view the nf logo is quite interesting it's quite simple to draw <laughs> How very children are quite stupid <laughs> i'm understanding to a fault aren't i mm. yeah uh, but then it's only as i'm older i'm like that must have been quite tough to realize i was really despised and not wanted mm. especially if you're feeling that way anyway it's almost like confirmation yeah you. the world agrees yes yeah. you are worthless you are as bad as you feel at your worst mm. that's a really Great. bad message for a child to and get the, and is that when because i know you suffer from an eating disorder and you self-harmed and things mm. was that around the teenage years or yeah definitely started around then particularly with eating disorder i guess these are actually quite the things that are seen of as Girl problems. Yeah, I was going to say not to be, but normally an eating disorder is seen as a girl's disorder. Yeah. Um, but it is so much more common in guys than people think. I've had yeah. friends that have suffered and oh, really? it's well, I think horrendous. Yeah, I think just because women have suffered for so much longer with that sense of being seen all the time, that you develop this really complicated relationship with your body. So you're, yeah, and then if you have doubts or conflicted feelings, you turn it against your own body a lot mm. of the time I think so so both eating disorders and self-harm were a manifestation of that so yeah I just I just didn't want to be here so I wanted to make myself as small as possible so that I wouldn't be seeing because I knew there was nothing to see and yeah I didn't want like a sense of did you find it as a sense of control or as you say more just as a means to disappear as much as possible uh yeah control was part of it definitely that I can't do anything but I can do this and I've got this discipline that a lot of people don't have and I can have some control over my body because the rest of the time I feel like I've been done to or the value of my body is not in my power, but this thing I can control. So, yeah, control is always something we, we cling to and crave in life, mm. even if it's got quite bad outcomes a lot of the time. We just need to feel that sense of power over our lives and that self-direction. 
And at what point in your life then did you feel, because now you seem like you can talk about it all quite articulately. That's <laughs> <So> ironic. <laughs> edit that out. No, that out. please don't edit that out. Uh, you feel like you can talk about it quite well. <laughs> Um, nice say. I'm not even going to try. It's like, you know, when you're trying to text and you're like, oh, I just don't I know just how know to spell what? that. I'll just yeah. change the sentence. <laughs> I leave all my typos in in text because they're hilarious. <laughs> oh, no. I've written a book just, just when I fly. <laughs> but you seem to have been able to turn things around and you can talk about it without being emotional or, you know, you've written a book and you've written a lot about it. You must talk about it a lot. So at what point in your life did you manage to find that skill? Oh, that really changes day by day. Mm. Yeah, ask me again tomorrow and I might be sitting here breaking down. Mm -hmm. um, I guess when you talk about even hard things over time, you do sort of develop a kind of thickness of the skin to them and you sort of know what you think about certain things and you're just further away in time. So it does get easier to talk about. But, you know, as I'm sure you can probably relate to, it doesn't mean you're fixed. There are still days when you feel that imposter syndrome and that's low mood and lack of self-worth and all that stuff mm. doesn't really go away you can just get better at spotting it and looking after yourself but it's difficult to get rid of entirely and sometimes it does come up and I struggle with it still do you find it easier now to tell the people around you now that they kind of know do you find it easier to be able to say look I'm just having a really bad time at the minute or yeah yeah, yeah I think and especially writing the book and making this all public. People know what's been going on with me. So, yeah, it's not a surprise. I don't feel that. It's not like I'm breaking new information, which is often what stops us talking. We don't want to change our relationships with people or shock someone or make feel like you're burdening them, but I guess I've burdened everyone anyway. Because <laughs> I wrote a book about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, you didn't so. give them a choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so now it's open season on my emotions. <laughs> and do you feel it coming on now? Can, can you feel when you're about to have a low day or does it still creep up on you no I can still find myself really shocked by how bad I can feel <laughs> I guess I've just got better at identifying that and realizing that it won't last forever and that there are probably reasons so I just start to think when I'm in a really self-hating mood I think how have I been sleeping has there been problems there have I been eating have I been you know eating properly nutritionally and uh, what's been going on in my life? Are there things that aren't working out? Am I struggling with something? And this is a kind of manifestation of that. And almost always there is something you can pin it on there or there's a root to it. It's not just this natural uprising of some inner truth. It's, mm. it's always related to some something that you can sort of focus on and, and work on in your life. And are there things that you try to do on a regular basis that kind of help you to keep going and to stop that from happening as much as possible? Well, the answer should be yes, but I really struggle with it. Like I try and eat... I haven't figured it out like yet. Like I try and eat well and I try and exercise and try and maintain close relationships. Um, but my urge is still to to not do those things and to disappear and to make, make myself small, even though a lot of the time now I, I have a, a platform and I've got a job that's to some degree public-facing, or is... And yet, despite all that, there are days when I still feel like I don't exist or I'm just so unworthy. And and instead of reaching out, I will sometimes withdraw and become silent and small. So it's it's hard still. Mm. And yeah, and then you feel like more of a fraud because you've spoken about these things and how important it is to speak just go for a walk yeah. and speak about it. And then you find yourself not doing those things and then you hate yourself more. 
<laughs> I know, but I find like I felt like a real bugbear with like the whole exercise thing because I try to exercise as much as possible. Mm, it's great, but and it does make you feel better. Mm. But saying that to someone that's like at rock bottom is so unhelpful, and I feel like also people keep saying, you know, like I've read books or I see people on TV and they're like, you just need to exercise. And I'm like, oh, because then that makes me then go, I'm even more rubbish because you, I can't even do that. Yeah. And the answer is so simple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it also just increases the distance between you. And actually that's the thing. It's that distance or connection that's the thing that will help you. Mm. And actually when people say, oh, just do this. I talk about this in my book, especially about exercise. I think it's a big one. I'm so like glad answer, it's not yeah. just me. <laughs> no, I'm like, people just say, I'll go for a jog. I'm like, I can't get out of bed. Yeah, I, even breathing feels yeah. like an effort. Yeah, so I'm, of course, I can, I'm trying to work up to a shower, Yeah. to be honest, mate. I don't think I'm going to be doing a 5K <laughs> yeah. anytime soon. And it does help, and that's not the point. Like, in, Of course, if I did that, it would help, but mm. it's just that thing of when you're really in it and you're really down there. You can't always, and I think just let yourself off the hook if you don't do it today. Try again tomorrow, mm. and hopefully at some point that week you will get out, and then that'll feel better, and then you can try it again, and hopefully you can start the upswing. But, yeah, the downswing is sometimes unavoidable. Mm. I'm so glad that you said that, because <laughs> I try and say that like on um, online, and I think I've mentioned it in my book, because I just think it's so important just to bring it up, because, yes, it helps, but... You have to be at a certain level to be able to bring yeah. that into your life to help yourself. Yeah. And I don't know, like I struggled with things like self-help books, which are really helpful for some people. But for me, just does not do anything because I know what I'm supposed to do, but yeah, I, mean, I just the, can't do it. The answers are actually quite simple. Like we all yeah. know them. And it's just doing them is the hard thing, like being in your life and making when there's nothing making you do something for yourself that act of self-will to get better is so that's what's hard to explain to people it's mm. so hard to do even the smallest thing sometimes and what would you say then to other people that are struggling have you got any tips or just a little piece of advice yeah go for a run you <laughs> <laughs> go for a run and eat some broccoli just eat an apple god what's wrong with you <laughs> well I think yeah leading off what we were saying I think just that you you know the answers and they are the right answers most of the time exercise nutrition relationships but if you're not in the place where you can get up or do more than brush your teeth forgive yourself and let yourself off the hook and try again tomorrow I just think hating yourself more than you are already is not going to help and understanding that these things do pass and tomorrow's a new day and you can have another go at it is a really really useful and Empower, strangely empowering thing to do mm. well thank you thanks for coming on and chatting I, don't, I hope it's made other people feel better because it actually has made me feel so much better yeah, me too I'm like so many things that you said I'm like yeah that's me <laughs> that's what I think so thank you so much I'm so glad I got to meet you and I will finish your book <laughs> oh my god the highest praise of all <laughs> thank you <laughs> Open Mind the podcast is sponsored by very.co.uk.